you know, I've, I've had, by the way, I've had project managers look at me sideways when I say this, too much planning isn't good. I was in a, a team meeting with a, a client of ours, general contractor last week, and I, I was sitting next to one of the senior project managers and I said that and I thought he was going to hit me. <laughs> I, said, I said, hold on. I said, hold on. I said, in your situation, you're, everything you're doing, perfect. What I'm saying though, is sometimes people, people over plan. I'm not talking about the project itself, but I'm talking about the business or the team. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you spend so much time looking at all the alternate situations and alternate plans that you've wasted a bunch of brain power and time on things that are never going to happen. Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome back to the CM Mentors Podcast. My name is Matt Graves. My co-host each week is Kyle Grandel. What's going on, Kyle? Hey, Matt. Doing well. Thanks for asking. Good, man. Uh, CM Mentors Podcast is where we bring on some industry professionals, uh, some experts in certain fields, and try to really drill them and get some good information out of them. And this week, we've got a fun one with Eric Schultz. What's going on, Eric? Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, man. Welcome. Well, thanks, for, thanks for taking some time joining us. Yeah, and no, I appreciate you guys having me on, and hopefully uh, hopefully I can go from an F-plus to at least a B by the time we're done today. Yeah, we'll for, see. For everyone, was, Eric was saying, you know, whatever, I said, well, you're starting off with an F-plus, and you can only go up from there, so <laughs> we'll see where, we'll, see. We'll, we'll send our poll at the end and see how you rank for the audience. Yeah, I have to, just for showing up on time, I at least go from an F-plus to a D. I mean, showing up on time, that got, that got the F plus. Otherwise, it's an F. <laughs> You're setting the bar too high, though. That's the problem with that one. <laughs> so, Eric, for those that don't know you, can you give us a little bit of uh, your background? Yeah, um, quick background. So I've owned a couple small businesses, uh, mainly on the, the trade side. And uh, the, the largest one maxed out just a little bit above 75 employees. And uh, through the course of... Uh, being an owner and developing those businesses, it really came to a point where I recognized that I didn't want other people to go through the same headaches the same way that I had and really wanted to make a career out of helping other individuals, whether it be in leadership roles or as owners, uh, proactively be able to, to build their organizations. And so made a shift uh, after the exit of the last business uh, intentionally into uh, what I now focus on, which is Journey Alliance, uh, myself and my business partner, Mark Bazuli. Uh, actually help support uh, businesses, uh, their leadership teams, and those owners uh, develop and grow their businesses, primarily focused on construction and trades right now. Oh, very cool. How'd you get into that, Eric? What, what kind of made you want to be a business owner in the first place? Um, that's a great question. I, I would say it's one of those things that um, I can't not do is probably the best way to put it. So I love I love growing and shaping uh, teams and organizations. And, um, you know, I think there's a difference between business ownership and entrepreneurship and I'm somewhere in that mix. Um, but I love starting things and building things. And so, uh, when I had worked for a company and had the opportunity to help grow somebody else's business, uh, I hit a point where it just, it just didn't feel like enough. Um, and whether it was the challenge, uh, potentially, you know, the finances, um, but probably more so the ability to influence and shape things in a way that I wanted to influence and shape them myself just led me into the the space of business ownership. Uh, fascinating. I mean, it's kind of a similar similar boat for me too. I mean, I was in engineering and construction management for other people, and then I kind of just uh, decided I had this idea and I thought I could make a go at it. So I went off on my own, and almost almost seven years now. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully, hopefully that means I'm over the hump here pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, could you could you ever see yourself shifting gears and and going back any other way now? Uh, no, never. I, I, <laughs> if I do, that'll take an entire personality change, and I don't, yeah. I don't want that. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. So you recognize, like, whether you feel like you're over the hump or not, it's almost like there's no going back, right? There is no going back for sure. But. Yeah, yep, yeah. So you get it. Yeah, it's one of those things for me where. Um, you know, if it was a matter of supporting my family or maybe with the right organization, you know, you never know what circumstances do, but I would probably not be a fun person to employ at this point in my life. <laughs> um, I, I know how to support the organizations that, that we serve and work for well, but I also have a nice creative outlet. You know, otherwise, I think if it were to be you know, fully employed, I'd probably be unemployable. I, I definitely get that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so so I, I got to ask before we switch gears here, um, business ownership versus entrepreneurship. Can you expand on that a little bit? That's really interesting to me. 
Yeah, you know, and, and I don't know that it, it's, it's a true dichotomy. It might be a false dichotomy um, that, I, that I just created. Um, but, you know, from an entrepreneurship standpoint, I believe there are some people that um, have both the talent um, and the skill set to take something from, from zero to whatever. Um, they truly understand how to identify a problem in the market and then capitalize on that and create uh, economic energy, create a business from something to nothing. Um, and, I, and granted, there, there are business owners that maybe they started the business, so they, they've done that. Um, but then there, there are also, I would say, business owners, whether they started it, um, bought into it, came into it through some type of vesting, um, who are potentially just really good at running and operating a business, not just as a manager, as a leader, but they think about the business truly from an ownership standpoint. But when it comes to birthing the business, whether it be a new service line, identifying new problems in the market, just not necessarily the, their bent or necessarily their skill set. And I believe entrepreneurship and even business ownership um, can be taught in a lot of ways. But I also am in the camp that there's aspects from a talent standpoint that's ingrained as well. That's really fascinating. I mean, I've had actually some similar thoughts myself because I don't look around and see a lot of people that, at least in my network, that have actually started from the ground up. I know a yeah. lot of people that maybe are running businesses, but it's a, a second generation or third generation. I don't know many that have started them from one person. So yeah. I can yeah. definitely appreciate that. Yeah, it's a, it's a different animal for sure, um, especially when you're when you're in a space and you know granted if it's a if it's a construction business or if it's a trade um, there's a there's a uniqueness i think to the business but the problem that's being solved um, overarching is is potentially not too unique depending on the area of construction um, construction technology or some other spaces maybe you know the argument would be different mm -hmm. um, so from an entrepreneurship you probably understand the problem you're solving but how do you take that problem and come up with a solution um, that you would say or maybe could say is unique in a market? And again, construction and trades might not be as relevant, but when you start to, to move into construction technology and some of those spaces, I, I believe it becomes even more relevant at that point. Well said. Wow. Have you read the book uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel? I haven't, but uh, obviously a big name, so I would imagine a pretty credible book. Yeah, it's a it's a cool book. Um, it, you know, it talks about like that building something from nothing, obviously. So it's kind of the the punchline. <laughs> I was gonna say, is that so? Is that the the main takeaway, or anything? Any other nuggets that came out of it for you? Oh man, there's a million nuggets. Um, I've done it. I think I've read through it twice, but the last one's been a while back. I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But it's I remember just like read. I was going through it again recently, and they kind of like. You know, building a podcast and building, you know, kind of the newsletter, yeah. although it's not a full blown business, but there's still a lot of like similarities and stuff that I was yep. just like, oh, man, I guess if this guy and me are kind of having the same problems, <laughs> I guess yeah. I'm on the same, I, mean, I guess I'm going the right direction anyway. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's actually a great example. I mean, what we're in right now, this podcast and even all the other content and everything um, that you all are producing, I think would be a great example of. You know, it's Peter Thiel, the, the zero to one, but entrepreneurially identifying what's what's the problem in the market? What are people actually looking for? And then how are you going to solve that problem? So great example, actually. We just haven't figured out how to make it profitable yet. Maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're just going to find a bunch of people to keep investing a bunch of money with without any hope of ever seeing it back at some point in time. That's that's how you make it big from what I hear. That's that's how all the big boys do it. <laughs> Well, yeah. that and that and merch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a um, there's a process. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did ask you how I get one of those mugs. You should have said for for the price of uh, ten ninety nine plus shipping. <laughs> um, we'll start yeah, selling but... stock, and for every stockholder, for every you know an investor <laughs> thing, you get a mug. Now, is it a pyramid or a triangle? That's what I want to know. <laughs> What's that uh, office where he says it's not a pyramid? And exactly. It and he goes and draws exactly. a triangle around it. Exactly. Yeah. No, I um, as a process, not to nerd out too much on it, but the continuous innovation process, innovation process, is something I really like, and that's where you know I lean towards the ability to learn entrepreneurially. Um, frankly, it's it's a process Mark and I use for journey and how we've continued to develop what we do. That really helps you identify the problem 
take your business model like this podcast or you know anybody else that may be working on their existing business because it works for established whether it be trader construction companies um, or newly launching companies and de-risk the business model you know make sure that you're working on the right areas of the business model uh, experimenting in those right areas so that when you're ready to truly accelerate that it's not a bunch of stop and start that you truly get to accelerate so just something that that appeals to me and it's obviously something i believe in because we use it actively So Eric, um, you know, kind of the, the one of the main themes of this this particular episode is about building teams and you know how how do we do that successfully from the from the owner side? But you know, just kind of kind of thinking about also from the employee standpoint and new people yep. coming in, into a potential business. You know, what are some, some maybe some tools or some processes, things that are that are good to know that uh, you know good piece of advice or maybe things to watch for. You know, just any any wisdom you can share on that. Yeah, yeah, it's um. And see me staring off into the distance as I try to process. You wanted me to take this topic, and now you want me to give you this one nugget. <laughs> it's so simple. Or a yeah. few, few nuggets. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's good. Um, you know, I think the the first thing to consider is most of us, whether it was through education, um, maybe even you know on the job training, uh, mentorship. Um, leadership development, uh, training, any any of those areas, most of us, and we, we've been through um, those particular opportunities to learn and to grow, <clears throat> often we view, we view leadership, not that it's narrow, but we view it one way. And it's, it's not as frequent or as common for people to dig into the difference between what it means to lead a team mm-hmm. versus what it means to lead individuals. Um, and the reality of that, though, is so often what we're doing and what brings success, whether we're, you know, we're newer in our careers, whether we're mid-level, whether we're in leadership roles, ownership roles, what brings success is our ability to identify, whether we call it or not, that we're leading a team and we lean that, lead that team effectively versus just leading individuals. Um, so I'd say that the first nugget is actually being aware of when we're Teams. Um, not not because of the buzz, buzzword in terms of teams and team buildings. Um, spoiler alert: I don't believe in trust fall exercises. Um, and you know, honestly, all this like you know, let's go you know have a bunch of fun together and call it team building, and then expect that to be the one thing that makes us a more effective team is garbage. Does that help build relationships? A hundred percent. And are relationships important for teams? Yeah. But is that the thing that's going to actually produce the outcome? No. So understand that. You know, teams or team leadership um, is actually a thing and that most of us don't spend much time learning it intentionally um, and then know how to apply it. Because if you have a group of individuals, you can't pretend that they're a team if they're a group. Teams that are interdependent and they, they have a common goal, common outcome. Um, groups might have common goal, common outcome, but they're not necessarily interdependent in terms of how they operate. If you try to lead a group like a team, it's a mess. And if you try to lead a team like a group, it's going to be relatively ineffective. So knowing how to apply the difference, um, I think, is where the, the rubber meets the road, if you will. I'll probably use a bunch of cliches as we go through the rest of this. We just start counting them as we go. Um, but I think that's that's the other nugget is actually. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, do you have any... Um... You know, I'm sure you do. Any any further thoughts on you know kind of building that team as far as how do you actually get people to be cohesive and to really work together? Because I mean, there's a lot of videos out there. There's a lot of TED talks. There's a lot of different articles you can read. You know, what what's your, from your experience? What are some things that you've seen that works really well to get that team you know working together and collaborating? Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, 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 put it back on you. Hopefully I'm at like a D plus and you don't drop me down to like an F plus on this one. So, I mean, I mean, I guess either of you guys, I mean, could you describe for me a time where you would say a team and it's okay, I won't fault you if it's a group, but where it was like horribly wrong and it was just an absolute mess. I mean, just describe a situation for me. You don't have to name names. I, I know you can't do that. I mean, just describe the situation. I would say a, pre- a previous project that I worked on in construction and it was it was a case where um, the supposed leader of the team, the project manager, um, really didn't communicate uh, 
the way that the way that it was expected with the rest of the team. And it's more like there was the the appearance of communication, but there wasn't actually the follow through. And it led to trust being broken. It led yeah. to it, um, it actually led to walls and you know tunnel vision and all those things that you don't want. I would say those actually got built during the project instead of trying to tear those down during the project. So. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost sounds like there was, and I'm reading into it like almost like an assumption of trust to start, but because there was no follow through or almost a facade in the communication that trust just deteriorated as the project went on. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. Communication wise, um, you know, was there a rhyme or rhythm, uh, kind of to how the communication went through or was it just reactive CYA type communication or how would you describe that? It was definitely reactive and it was also a, a, a an experience too. It was, um, this person's first larger project of this type. So I don't think they really knew the best way to create those channels and how to yeah. really empower the rest of the team to, yep. uh, you know, find those issues themselves and just fix them. Yep. Yeah. I love that you actually just, I think, answered your question to me. So um, when you're, when you're looking at, when you're looking at a team, so um, you have this aspect of norms, you know, how we do things, our meeting rhythms, and depending on what type of project and what type of methodology you're using, you know, there could be daily huddles, they could be stand-up meetings, they could be um, whatever, you know, so on and so on, depending on what you're doing. Um, and then also establishing written versus verbal communication. Um, but you know, the, the team leader, if you will, whoever's responsible for helping establish that, needs to make sure it's clear, you know, and also be able to hold themselves accountable to those as well. <clears throat> but the other thing that you mentioned was this talent piece, and then also the ability to lead from behind. Um, and that's where team leadership becomes so different than the, the common idea that we view leadership. And granted, you know, some people talk about servant leadership and all these other types of leadership that you might say are kind of leading from behind. But Team leadership really is knowing the difference between when to lead from the front and when to actually be able to lead from behind. And in your situation, if they didn't really have the knowledge or the expertise, really what they, you know, again, reading into the situation needed to be able to establish how the team was going to operate and hopefully now go to the talent piece, have the right people on the team and make sure that they are able to interact in a way that's able to move the project forward versus being the bottleneck or the one that's actually miscommunicating along the way. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, unfortunately a great a great example where um, so often you know from a leadership standpoint we think we're supposed to be the ones with the answers. Now, great leaders that maybe don't understand team leadership also know that they don't have to be the ones with all the answers. But from a team leadership standpoint, it's making sure you have all the right people. Now, hopefully on the project team you have all the right people, but even so, uh, making sure that you're creating the right environments for them to be able to collaborate as well. That's a great point on environments. I've been doing a lot of reading and watching some different videos and so forth lately about that. And, uh, you know, leadership's great. You can put as much leadership on the table as you want to, but really it's the environment that's going to open up the team. It's going to create the trust and the respect and yep. actually make them work well together and even hopefully solve problems on their own without getting you involved. Yeah. Well, that's the, I mean, that's kind of the ideal. I mean, yeah. When you have a team truly performing at a high level, as long as as long as it's understood and not not lazy, <laughs> to yeah. be able to be in that, in, that, in that leadership role where the team doesn't need you, um, they're able to operate without you. Well, and I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but I listened to a podcast last week that was about how the war against Al Qaeda was won, and uh, this particular podcast was about meetings, and it, it was really fascinating though because. It was about how this general structured meetings differently so that his own uh, staff, instead of going to a meeting and just reporting what's happening and then waiting for waiting to be told what what the direction is, instead, the staff would uh, solve problems on their own. And then the, this general would actually during this meeting, instead of uh, instead of just telling them what to do, they would ask, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why yep. are you doing that? So kind of program their thinking to match his yep. own and then they can yep. act more autonomously it was fascinating yeah yeah it's interesting from that perspective so if i you know think about that in the application of it you know if the team if a team leader's goal is to grow and develop that team and those team members beyond them 
then they should hit a point where they're not just being directed in the meeting. Do this. Here's what we're going to do. Ask a few questions. You know, they should switch to more of a coaching or supporting role in actually developing those team members. You think about it, you know, on a, on a project, um, you know, part of that also, I would imagine in the beginning is really starting to understand how the different team members think about things mm-hmm. and understanding where they're at. I mean, just because so-and-so has such and such title and such and such credentials doesn't mean they're going to think about the project uh, in a way that's going to be conducive to you know the project phase of where it's at. So asking good questions from a team leadership standpoint is a good way to size the person up. And if they're not where they need to be at, it's also a great way to start to help them develop as well or other team members to realize where those gaps are so they don't get themselves into trouble too. <laughs> Well, and, and also, to, you know, just, just my last thing here, and then I'll jump off my, my box here for a second, Matt. Um, <laughs> just kind of the other side of that coin is having the humility to admit when, when you don't know. And that's that's yeah. a big part, too, in, in, especially in our industry, and especially when dealing with yeah. you know, even yeah. with customers, is that it, it's okay to say, you know what, I'm not sure about that, but I will go yeah. find out the answer. Or, I don't know, can you can you give me your, your thoughts and opinion, and then I'll consider. Yeah, that goes to that trust thing you mentioned um as well i mean if if we can't say we don't know then it's not going to be very long before we lose trust because you can only you can only fake it for a conversation or two but proofs in the results eventually absolutely yeah yeah i guess talking to trust speaking of books have you read i guess five dysfunctions of a team patrick yeah yeah yep that's such a great one and like when you go through it actually the it's very kind of a funny story, but like I first got the book from a guy who was hired in to lead a team that was really, I think he actually made it maybe a little bit more dysfunctional than it probably should have, but I got the book from him. The irony in that. Yeah. But the whole team, like everybody would come into the office, they would go into their respective offices, close their doors and email each other. Like, why are we yeah. here? And this was in like, cause everybody wanted everything in writing and everything wanted to document and all that sort of stuff. I'm oh like, yeah. You're emailing the guy that sits next across that wall from you. Like, what are we doing here? And it yeah. was just a, and I mean, probably no surprise that business isn't in business anymore. But it just, it was a bad, bad culture. Yep. Yeah. Don't don't tell anybody. Um, but that's one of the things that that I look for working with a with a new client. So when we start to work with. Um, I try to get a feel for based off conversations. <laughs> um, yeah, I try to get a feel for that email traffic. Um, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be documented. That's not the issue for me. But like you said, when it's like, you know, Joe in this office and Jane in this office, and it's clearly stuff that did not need to be documented other than the CYA for each other, it's a sure mm-hmm. sign that there's a deeper issue there. <laughs> Yeah, I would say the only, so um, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, I think is a really good book um, to introduce people to this idea of team and team concepts. I think uh, Patrick Lencioni did a a great job. There's, of course, a huge following with it. I've introduced Mm -hmm. it to so many people myself. Um, One thing I'll throw out there that I would challenge on it, and um, there's a gentleman, uh, Gordon Curfee, um, who has this book called Ignition, and Rocket Model is his approach, um, which I I, I lean heavily towards his, his approach. Um, but the, this idea of that trust um, or you know, fear of conflict, that's something that teams can develop as they go. It doesn't necessarily need to be the building block to make it go. Because um, a lot of times, you know, I know my experience, I don't know about you guys, but I, I tend to develop trust when crap hits the fan. Or I tend to develop trust when you're moving through something together. It doesn't have to be crap hitting the fan. I guess it can just be working through something on a project. And that's when you know what somebody's really made of. And that's when you know, <clears throat> you know, are they going to be open with me? Are they going to share things that might even make them look bad? Um, are they going to follow through on the things that they said that they were going to do? And that might not all happen, you know, in those first you know, few meetings or that first month. That, that could be months. And if I just put my intention there in the beginning to building a team, then I miss out on the fact that all that happens as I go. So that's the only thing I would just just preface with that, I guess. Well, that's really good. That prefaces, or I, I'm sorry, that goes back to some of the earlier pods, Matt, that we had talking about when this when the shit hits the fan. I mean, when you're <laughs> when you're when you're on this project and all of a sudden things go sideways, it, and that's when you really find out how somebody is, you know, oh, yeah. what their their true character is. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah, whether they're gonna throw you under the bus or not, or if they're gonna try to stop the bus for you. But yeah, yeah. Or you can do trust falls and you just figure out who's gonna step out of the way, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but it's also interesting too, Eric. So I think I'm I think I'm a little bit different. I tend to approach it, I would say and maybe it's a fault um, with more more trust on the front end until somebody proves me wrong. Yeah. And I I mean, have I been burned before? I have probably. So maybe I need to be a little bit more protective of that trust, but I tend to give it right off the bat. Yep. I don't, I, I, personally, I think that's the right approach. Uh, assume trust. So what I'm getting at is because uh, I would argue that's the way it should be. Um, but if you follow, if you look at five dysfunctions of a team and one of the building blocks is trust, well, let's say there's five people on the team. If four people assume trust and one person doesn't, then is the whole team going to be held back because of that one person? Um, or is the whole team going to move forward and maybe give that opportunity for that person to actually build trust as they go? And I would argue the whole team moves forward and that one person builds trust as they go. And those four people, that trust gets tighter and tighter as they go as well, or it should. And that's the, you know, the term would be the vulnerability-based trust, not because we're sharing our deepest, darkest secrets, but we're okay with, like we talked about earlier, saying, I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? This is literally why you're on the team. Well, I, I don't know, but I'm going to get back to you on this one. <laughs> well, Matt, he's going to be at a D plus now because he, I mean, he just said that I was right. So <laughs> I don't know. That may kick him down another notch. <laughs> Green with you, we can't, that's not good. Hey, um, I've I've heard I, I've heard C's get degrees, and I've actually heard D's get degrees. So I mean, if we, just, if we just get to that level. It depends. It depends on the school. Uh, yeah, where, exactly. where, where I went, you needed a C minus at least. Yeah, yeah. When I heard D's get degrees, I started scratching my head. I was like, well, we need to look into that one a little bit more. I probably would have graduated on time if that was the case. <laughs> hey, yeah. so. Uh, Kind of a lot of this podcast is really kind of for kind of the next generation of people. Yeah. And so if you're talking to somebody who may be like a, maybe in a new leadership position or maybe yeah. even like, say, a project engineer who, maybe, yeah, I mean, hell, they may be fresh out of school, right? But they get hired on by a general contractor, the project engineer, and they say, all right, you're in charge of these three subcontractors. Go yeah. lead them. Go be a team leader. What are some mistakes you see kind of new leaders um, make? Yeah. Yep. Good question. Um, first one would be the need to be right. So, um, oftentimes, you know, new leaders and I, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's, if, if it's our own insecurity when we're new leaders in those roles, or, um, maybe it's the opposite, our own overconfidence for, for being new leaders. Um, but it's that need to be right. Maybe we're out to prove something to ourselves or to other people, um, or we feel like we're supposed to be right. We're supposed to have the answers because we're, we're in a leadership role. Um, and so I'd say that's the first thing is realizing that um, we need to drop the need to be right. You know, it's more about advancing whatever it is we're working on so that collectively we make the right decisions and do the right things versus our own individual need to be right. And that's the first piece. Um, the second thing, which was a, honestly was a hard one for me, um, it's not a natural wiring, uh, which is being collaborative. Now, people throw that word around all the time, but so many people suck at it. Mm -hmm. uh, so. But it's actually so for me, it's a learned mindset and a learned skill set because um, I am so competitive. And so, you know, translating my competitiveness into the team or the organization versus my own individual competitiveness. Sometimes I argue just to argue and that's not healthy for a team. <laughs> Matt, you're <laughs> laughing. I'm, I'm guessing. I'm just going to guess. But that's also how I learn. Um, mm -hmm. So. But so truly understanding how to collaborate. And so that that new project engineer or person in that that new leadership role, if they don't understand themselves what it takes to be collaborative and to collaborate, then it's going to be hard for them to develop that with, say, those three subcontractors or whoever else is in that group or on that team with them. Yeah, I was laughing because I'm, I'm in the same boat where I I always like to play devil's advocate. And so yeah. I may agree with you, Eric, and I, yeah. I see it the same way you see it, yeah. but I'll take the other stance it's just to kind of question myself, to question yep. you because, <clears throat> and just as maybe there is another way to see it. And then you'll get pissed off at me because you're like, yeah. dude, I thought we're on the same team. Like we are yeah. like, why yeah. are you arguing with me? And like, that's, that's a weekly occurrence with my wife. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, so you get it. So sometimes you say something here and then like two minutes you say the whole other side and then someone looks at you and they're like, you just said, I said, I know just because I said it doesn't mean I believed it. <laughs> but I think a yeah. lot of that too is, I mean, you talk about talking about building trust and all that sort of stuff. When somebody trusts you and they know you're not out just to argue with you and bicker, but like when they, you, they, when you actually have a good team relationship and you know, if I'm arguing with you, I'm not doing it because I'm trying to prove you wrong. I'm doing it kind of for my own betterment, maybe the team's betterment. And so that's a, I think you really started getting that team built and kind of really are start understanding what makes people tick. Yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think being able to, so if you look at being able to take in the feedback or the input from other team members, you know, and if, if you have these subcontractors working on a project and let's, for the sake of this example, say that there is some interdependency, whether it be in terms of, you know, where they're at on the project and what types of interactions they have to have. Um, and let's say there's disagreement. And by the way, disagreement is healthy. Disagreement is good. How that disagreement is, is handled um, is where things can go sideways. Let's say there's disagreement with how this particular part of the project should be handled. Um, then the ability for, let's say, that project engineer to facilitate that disagreement in a way that the, the team actually gets a good outcome is crucial. Um, and so from a collaboration standpoint, Let's even think that in this example, maybe they think they're right. They looked at everything. They said, this is the way that it's supposed to be done. And they have two of their subs, you know, arguing with them. And they have one who maybe isn't arguing, but still thinks they're wrong, but just doesn't have the, <laughs> doesn't have the cojones to actually say anything about it. So they're, they're afraid of the disagreement. Well, the, the project engineer needs to think to themselves, maybe I'm wrong maybe we're all wrong. <laughs> and then from a collaboration standpoint, it's not even a matter of right and wrong. It's actually taking in all the information and saying, okay, if this is true, or if some of this is true, what else could we be doing or should we be doing and coming up with maybe a new idea or, you know, letting go of the fact that they're uh, thinking they're right and maybe they're wrong and coming up with a solution that maybe mitigates some of the risk and take some baby steps towards whatever the outcome is. I think a lot of people tie up their own ego in being right or wrong. And if you can just kind of like a step back too and be like, maybe not, I'm right, I'm wrong. Like, what is the truth? Who cares who came yeah. up with it? Yep. And like, <clears throat> so I think, yeah. That's it. But it's, it's in the, from a, a team leadership standpoint, especially, I would, I would say being new in certain roles. Um, again, you, you think you're in that role because you're supposed to be right, especially if you're coming from a technical background, you think you're supposed to be right. And the reality is creating collaborative environment and leading a team is less to do about being right individually and more about the outcome or the output of the team. Mm -hmm. So I've got another topic here, unless you want to keep going on this one, Matt. Go for it. All right. Assessments. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts, Eric? Are, 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 you know, using them, do you use them? Have you, are there ones that you like versus don't like, you know, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on that one? And then I'll, in my two cents to be clear yeah. we're talking about assessment as in like a personality type assessment not like an annual review type assessment right or what are you talking about either or i, I was thinking more personality and skills um than than yeah than, like, smart goals or things like that yeah 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 so um it's a it's complicated but i'll, I'll say this i use assessments and because i use them i realize how abused they are um, and there's so much crap out there. There is so much crap out there for assessments. Um, I, I look for validated and reliability. So validated assessments and reliable assessments. So the research needs to back the assessment. Um, when you get into teams, as an example, there's, there's plenty of supposed team assessments out there, even some big names. Um, and the lack of research to research behind them is disgusting to me. Uh, because people are then trying to apply them in organizations. Um, and some of these people don't even know how to apply them either, even though they're bad assessments in the first place. So, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of garbage. That's, that's the, the first thing that I'm going to say. Um, the other thing, because I, I am certified in a, you know, a handful of them. Um, how do I say this? Uh, I've been through multiple certification programs. 
um, and I look around the, the room physically or virtually and I say to myself, would I trust some of these people to assess my team, my organization or coach my team, my organization? Um, and the answer oftentimes is no. I mean, there's, there's maybe some people that I would, and there's some really smart people when you get into certain assessments. Um, Hogan has some pretty good stuff, and there's some really smart people that get into Hogan. Um, that's not the flavor that I use. I just I, I think it's some good stuff. So, yes, I do believe in them, the right people, the right assessments, using them properly. Um, and so to take an assessment out of place and think that it says something that it doesn't say is, is I think, you know, you're better off not having used anything in the first place. Um, as an example, I use one pretty common, people use DISC, um, the acronym D-I-S-C. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a, it can be a really great tool. Um, it's not a selection tool. There's no one best profile. And so when people take that and then they apply it and they say, oh, we need more of this or we need someone that has this, they've already completely missed the point of being able to use it as a tool to help people understand communication preferences and how to encourage different communication styles. Yeah, well, I mean, well said. Um, I, I mean, I've learned a little bit here, too, about uh, making sure you do your research and really look into the tools that you're using and, um, you know, the validated thing yeah. that you're speaking to. That's that, that's a really good nugget for anybody listening. Um, yeah, I, just just my two cents was, I mean, we, we do them as well and and we do them to uh, to understand, you know, like you're saying, understand kind of your communication preferences, um, kind yeah. of your do's and your don'ts with each other as well. And then it also helps us kind of to align to and see where the balance is in the team. Oh, yeah. um, and then we're actually, you know, the plan is once we get to further round interviews with with new candidates, maybe consider putting them through an assessment to see where they fall on the team too, make sure that our balance is there. Um, yep. But again, it has to be the right assessment and has to be used the right way. Yeah. Yeah. So for example, I mean, I'm, I'm certified with Gallup strengths-based stuff. I actually use that sparingly. Um, that can go the wrong direction. I remember one client I had at one point that wanted me to use it as a selection tool. And I said, that's not what it is. And they said, well, that's what I want to use it for. And I said, okay, well, that's not what it is. So like, I guess we're done here. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. Like, I'm not even going to take your money because you can't pay me to do something with a tool that it's not intended for. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so um, strengths-based approaches, they, they have their place. I think they're also overused, but they do have their place in very specific situations. They're great to help uh, develop teams in certain ways, and they're great for resiliency, um, for people to bounce back. Uh, I do use some tools from a selection standpoint that's a combination. Um, TTI is the organization that most of my individual assessments come through. Yep. Um, and so, you know, use use quite a bit of their stuff. Um, and so when I entered into um, recruiting and hiring, it's normally not a hire, don't hire situation. It's normally a, you're pretty much already at the finish line and going to hire this person. You know, if we're going to have them take this assessment, we're really just trying to understand almost kind of like what you said, how are they going to fit the team? And frankly, whoever is leading that team, um, what might you need to understand about this person to adjust your leadership style? to best support this person through their onboarding so that they can do well. Um, so I believe in them from that. Um, team assessments, I mentioned uh, Gordon Curfee with the rocket model. Um, there is a team assessment that actually has true research behind it. His is the only one that I know of. Um, you know, even you know, others, you know, we mentioned Patrick Lencioni. I don't know how much research is behind some of the, the toolkit that's there. Um, I don't want to discount if there is research there. I think he's done some amazing amazing things for individuals, for teams, and for organizations. But I'll say Gordon Curfee's team assessment tool has, has some really solid research behind it as well. Very good. Matt? So, uh, I was smiling, by the way, Kyle, when you asked that, because I, I tell people when I, when I start working with them, is I don't want to be known as the assessment guy. Yeah. So uh, there's two things I tell people. One is I don't want to be the assessment guy, but I do have some assessments I'd like everybody to take. I'll, I'll kind of weave them in along the way. But again, right assessment, right situation, uh, right purpose. Um, and the other one is I tell people I hate meetings. People people think that that's a flat lie because I introduce a bunch of meetings that they're not currently having right after that because I believe in the right meetings. It goes back to norms and creating the right communication channels and right areas for people to collaborate on the right rhythm as well. So what are those types of meetings you you're adding in that people don't normally do? Yeah. So, um, again, it depends on, 
um, if it's project-based, um, if it's uh, team-based outside of a project, uh, but generally um, daily huddles, um, and you can call them whatever you want, but it's a daily touch. Um, and it's, do you do those on one-on-ones or you do those in teams? Uh, I, I like to do them in teams. And so for um, the model that we run, um, probably not as relevant, but uh, I connect with uh, business owners uh, four days a week in, in a daily huddle type setup, short burst. Um, but when I'm looking at it from a team standpoint, what I encourage those owners owners to do or different teams to do if they're not doing it already, it's that 10 to 15 minute stand up meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's truly just creating that situational awareness, creating accountability with each other. Um, and through the course of those two things, um, developing relationships, you know, they don't necessarily need to have a whole separate meeting to develop relationships. If you have a 10 minute conversation and a 15 minute conversation with the team four or five days a week, you're, you're eventually going to start to get to know a person along the way, even though that's not the intentionality of the meeting, it's going to start to come out. Right. So <clears throat> huge fan of daily huddles, um, next to some sort of weekly alignment meeting, um, I, well, I have a set way of doing things. I don't believe there's a one size fits all. Um, and so it's really right sizing given the situation, you know, is that weekly alignment relevant? If it is relevant, what needs to be included? Um, and making sure that there's value that comes out of that meeting for everybody. But normally that weekly alignment is, is heavy collaboration focused. A um, little bit of information kind of highlights the weave into it. It shouldn't be redundant for what already happened during the weekly or the daily huddles, but it's really creating the space to work work on whatever needs to be worked on from a collaborative standpoint. And that's where I think relationships really start to deepen or get developed when you're actually having to work on things together and problem solve together uh, in ways that aren't just firing emails back and forth or group text messages. Um, and for, from a business standpoint, you know, if I go beyond all that, so if you're looking at um, from a management, you know, mid-management leadership role, and then if you get into you know, the business owners, you know, aside from that, uh, quarterly annual rhythms, I think are absolutely crucial, um, you know, to be able to step back from a planning standpoint and say, are we really heading in the right direction? What direction do we want to go? And then make sure you're continuing to head that direction. Um, Right-sized planning is important for me in any environment. You know, I've, I've had, by the way, I've had project managers look at me sideways when I say this. Too much planning isn't good. I was in a, a team meeting with a, a client of ours, general contractor, last week, and I, I was sitting next to one of the senior project managers, and I said that, and I thought he was going to hit me. <laughs> I, said, I said, hold on. I said, hold on. I said, in your situation, you're, everything you're doing, perfect. What I'm saying, though, is sometimes people, people over plan. I'm not talking about the project itself, but I'm talking about the business or the team. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you spend so much time looking at all the alternate situations and alternate plans that you've wasted a bunch of brain power and time on things that are never going to happen. In, in those in those different meetings, have you, um, and this can be kind of a tough question, but um, yeah. have you come across a good way or um, you know ways that, that teams can kind of track their progress relating to, you know, I'm going to call it those underlying pillars of, you know, trust, respect, accountability, communication, like, like tracking, measuring, making sure, you know, kind of, kind of reviewing and then getting better at those things. I mean, have, have you seen any processes or systems that, that, that works well for that or? Yeah. So if I answer this question, well, will I go from a D to a C? That's the first thing you said. It was a hard question, so I would say yes, but Matt's the tough one here. I mean, depends on how you do it. Could be it could bring you up to a B. We'll <laughs> okay, no, no pressure. Okay, um, yeah. So I think you're. If I understand the question right, is what can a team do to somehow get indication of their progress on things like trust or any other factor that you know hopefully is developing them as a better team. Yep. Good recap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think, uh, let's look at two sides of it, leading or lagging. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, let's talk about the team itself. Cause that's going to change the situation. Um, how long will this team be a team? What's the, is it a project duration or is this at a management level where they're, they're going to be a team for an extended period of time? Oh, I'll just use my own situation. So, you know, for my staff and growing my team, I'm looking to hire this year and bring more people on board. So it's, it's a long term. It's, um, you know, hopefully just from here to this point forward. Yeah. 
Okay, well, so I'll give you uh, a lagging measure and then let's talk about leading activities. Um, lagging measure is having an assessment. <laughs> I'm not the assessment guy, but use an assessment. Um, so he's not the uh, meeting guy. We need more meetings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm gonna have a meeting about the assessment. Um, but yeah, so you you can you can do different things. Let's say let's take two approaches on assessment. Um, one is just temperature checks. So end of the meeting, you know, it's simple as on a scale of one to ten. You know how we do here. Um, normally in the beginning, um, people have a hard time. You might have a you might have a healthy group, healthy culture already, so it's not going to be hard. Um, but you're probably getting a lot of people that say, oh, we're a 10, we're saying everything we're thinking, um, but you're not disagreeing at all during meetings, which means everybody's lying. Sure. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's, it's simple. If you want to use that as an assessment, simple temperature checks, if you're trying to measure those areas. Um, but the other one is you know, having something like I mentioned, that uh, team assessment survey, um, the rocket model one, that's something you can do every six months or every year. Um, with the team and you'd have, if we use your example, you'd have the team go through it every six months or every year and see where those scores lie, um, on this particular assessment. And then, you know, which activities you need to focus on to develop the team. Um, so for example, uh, there's different categories in this one and, uh, courage would be one which ties to conflict. Let's say it's courage. Let's say the score is low in that area. Then you would know, um, from a, a a logic standpoint, very simple, not not just abstract or theoretical. This is low. These are the types of things we need to start doing as a team to move the needle forward on these here. You know, you might have some exercises that you layer into what you're doing, um, but then you should see the progress. Um, the other thing would be um, if you're rating the meetings uh, themselves at the end of the meetings uh, as open feedback, was this a valuable use of everybody's time? You know, eventually you ask that question over and over and over again, if there's kind of false harmony there, someone's going to finally speak up. And maybe, you know, maybe it's leading first and saying, hey, I appreciate all the time we spent. Um, I didn't hear from so-and-so and so-and-so. And frankly, there's a couple of times I should have spoken up and I didn't. So next time we get together, you know, I'm going to call this a seven. Everybody gave a 10. Sorry. <laughs> the way this meeting's going to improve next time is that you know, collectively, we all actually speak up when we're trying to solve a problem together. But the assessment is probably the, the more surefire way to see the progress. Yeah, great tip for anybody listening to there as, as, as you know, getting growing in our leadership styles and, and getting used to leading teams. Those, I think those are some great tools to help kind of build those those main parts. And I'm calling them pillars because to me, a, a team can't survive without them. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, you, you gotta you gotta be able to measure stuff to uh, to actually know how you're doing and improve it. So, yep, yep. yeah, yeah. There's different flavors on what those pillars yeah. uh, might be. So five dysfunctions of a team. Um, what I do like is the simplicity of that model <clears throat> in the pillars. Yeah. Um, so even just asking questions on each one of those, and I've done that historically, uh, where I might be in a meeting and say, you know, where does everybody feel that we're at? And I'll do honest broker, write it down. So if you're looking at that pyramid, those five dysfunctions, you know, where do we feel like we're at consistently on here and write it down <clears throat> um, and then ask everybody to share. Now, granted, some people might have wrote one down and they feel everybody says something different and they backtrack. That's, if you're sitting at a table, that might be handed to the right and have the person read it out loud. But um, but if you're doing it openly in the group, you know, get the feel for where everybody feels they're at and why as well. That's great. I love that. Going back to something you said a minute ago, you were talking about the new types of meetings you introduced. And one of them, I think you said an annual or quarterly kind of strategic planning meeting, something like that. Who would you want yeah. to have in that meeting? Is that executives and directors only type level? Or because I've seen it done a few different ways. I mean, I've seen it done where even that goes all the way down to like maybe even project managers. And so obviously your room's a lot bigger. You have a lot more voices in the yep. room. Um, but it, they did a real good job of pulling out information out of everybody. But I mean, I can see pros and cons of having a smaller kind of executive level only or bigger. Kind of what's your thoughts there? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Um, and it really, uh, in my world, it depends on the company and their culture. Um, so I'm, I would say I'm kind of an idealist in this. And I would, I would rather have an environment that has representation throughout the company for different roles. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also... There are some aspects you know, of working on the business that as much as you'd love to have a larger collective group involved, 
um, some of those conversations, it's hard to maintain the level of trust you need when you have that many people in the room to have some of the conversation that you've had as well. So to answer the question more directly, um, you, can, you can have a little bit of the best of both worlds. So it doesn't just have to be one, one meeting and it doesn't all have to be everybody's in the meeting if it's a day or two days as well. So you can have a collective group, you know, maybe it's a, a core team. It might even be part of the development of some of those team members to be able to be involved in some of that. Um, and maybe it's an extended leadership team. Uh, and then you can have, you know, that, that senior leadership team, which might be a smaller group, you know, working at other aspects or being able to absorb what came out of that larger group as well. Um, key in all that is, is going to be uh, the, the ability to facilitate the conversations in a way that still helps achieve the desired outcome. The bigger the group, the harder it is. And so knowing how to do breakout groups, report backs and structure everything that needs to happen is going to be absolutely critical versus you get a group of 50 people together. We all know like everyone just sitting there and you're just asking for things from 50 people along the way. Like you're going to get you know, 10 or 15 people that are going to participate and everybody else is there for lunch and breakfast. Yeah. Happy hour after. So yeah, definitely. Unless you have, unless everybody has to show up and report on something or you really yeah. start, you have to, you have to have almost a real good moderator in that case to really pull it out of stuff and really call people. All right, Eric. All right, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> like really kind of like get everybody yep. engaged. Yeah. It can definitely be tough. Yeah. We've, I, so we've had issues even with groups, I'd say as small as, but in some environments, I would say they're big as 10 people when they're, when they're doing their pre-work um, to report to the group. I mean, if you picture 10 people all getting, half an hour to walk through what they've spent hours and hours or days preparing half an hour a piece. And then, mm -hmm. you know, 15 minutes of Q and a with them, if you go individually and then, you know, time between setup, they're done. Someone else comes in by the time you're done. That's like an hour a person. And I mean, you're already over a day, you know, if you look at it that way, just for that. So it's tough to manage when you really want to get really rich input. If people have done the research coming in, uh, my opinion, but it depends on the goal of, of the meeting. If it's input gathering, buy-in information that leads to developing decisions, then a big group is is great. I think if it's you know working collectively, really from a decision-making standpoint, it's harder to manage. I got you. Curious though, you, you you mentioned you you had an experience that you've been part of with with that larger group. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Curious how that how that was structured, how that played out and really what, what you enjoyed coming out of that. And the reason why I ask, I really love learning from other people's experiences and I'm guessing even some people that are listening, um, just it's such a variety of people's experiences. Yeah. I mean, it was a, uh, it depends on who's looking at it for Kyle's company and be a big company, but for it, it was, it was probably, I'm going to say 15 to 20 people in the room. Um, and it was anybody, <clears throat> I mean, from the owner of the company, the president of the company, all the VPs, directors, um, you know, certain like the purchasing manager, you know, just random like people like that kind of department yeah. heads, I guess, sort of, yep. um, plus like in, like on the PM staff, all the project managers, Yep. Um, not the field foreman, but like the, as you'd call it, like general superintendent type level, yep. <clears throat> they were all in the room and it was, um, it was a quarterly meeting. And then like the, I forget it was January or December, but basically at the, at the new year, you'd set the new year goals. And then basically every quarter you come back and you kind of report on what you're doing yeah. for your part of the goal. And, but you were getting feedback and there for a while, it was just kind of, yeah, kind of that collective agreement and it was kind of a boring meeting, but then somebody would start getting fired up and, you know, <laughs> but it was good conversations. Yeah. And, um, the, there was meetings, I guess, that happened before I was a part of the company that where it would kind of quickly fall apart and evolve into like finger pointing and argue, you know, not in a, not in a good way. Right. But I guess some of those personalities were gone out of the company, off the team. And so yep. but it was it was uh, it was collaborative. I think it was good. It was good to see kind of get an insight of what kind of the other departments were doing and kind of how it's all working together and how like what I'm doing is affecting them and vice versa. And then it, there was kind of a brainstorming aspect to it too, because somebody started talking about something and it was an open forum. So if somebody's talking about their problem or something they're struggling with here on whatever their goal was, anybody could chime in and kind of help. And so it was, yeah. there was that bit of brainstorming. Obviously no company decisions were really made in that. Yep. It was more of a reporting slash 
um, brainstorming type environment, yep. I guess you would. Yep. Any any yeah. like real company decisions were made, you know, kind of behind closed doors with probably the executive group, right? So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so what you just described there, I, I think is great. I mean, it's a good way to kind of flatten out the organization mm -hmm. and make sure that, you know, hopefully information is flowing and ideas are flowing uh, as well. So I, I think that's a great approach to it. I thought it was a, I thought it was good. Um, but yeah. All right, Matt, I've got just one more topic here for Eric. I know we're getting close to time here, but, and it's kind of a high level one. So I, I, I'm really just picking your brain here. Um, and, and anybody who's listening is benefiting. Uh, well, hopefully. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully they're benefiting just from turning in, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the goal. Um, <laughs> so, so Eric, um, in, in my position, you know, coming, coming into business ownership, um, you know, I've come up through the ranks, you know, so, so forth. You know, I was yep. electrician. Um, I was an engineer, uh, project manager, construction, et cetera, whatever my career path has been. Um, so I've gotten in my leadership role. And what I, what I feel like and have felt like for some time is that um, today's leaders, and, and I guess I'll say construction because I don't know the other, other industries, but yeah. we're kind of in a conflict is what I feel like of the older generation way of doing things versus the younger, younger generation new way of doing things. And so I'm kind of curious if you've, seen that or even felt it yourself and if you have kind of you know do you have thoughts on um you know different considerations for that because just as an example um like when i was an electrician um working with guys that were you know twice my age they'd love to say to me oh you know what you're doing it wrong this is how i've always done it and i'd say yeah. to them I'd say well doing it wrong for 20 years is still doing it wrong <laughs> <laughs> which they don't yeah. like that by the way <laughs> but yeah, just as an out. example <laughs> but, you know, just kind of as a really crude example, you know, that that kind of a thing where it's like, you know, the, the older generation, they're retiring, they're kind of handing over the reins to us. Really, I mean, kind of, I'm going to say even without training, they're just kind of like, here, go figure it out yourself. But then you get in, getting strong influence from the younger generations, too. And obviously, they're the ones that are coming in. So, you know, I hate to say they're, they're more important, but but in the future, they're going to be the ones that are driving the ship here. So. You know, kind of what yeah. are your thoughts on, on, on this mess that I've just presented to you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll give you one nugget that'll solve it all now. <laughs> so <laughs> I, so I, 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 as you were saying that, um, I had an individual that kind of came to mind. Um, he's on, on the older side. He came in with one of our clients uh, two years back. <clears throat> and while he, he had a very structured way of thinking, he came in uh, as a as a senior PM um, for this company that was, it was a pretty strong role, a smaller business as well. Um, not that it's not a strong role by itself, but it was a small enough company that it was, you know, next step would have been the leadership team for him. Um, but wealth of knowledge, wealth of experience, very structured individual, very set on this is the way we do things. And yet it was interesting because when when he would be interacting in a more uh let's say kind of personal um interaction uh individual or even team-based he was wide open to ideas um so even though this was the way we do things he still had this this mindset of there might actually be a better way on on some things mm -hmm. um so i think part of the challenge is you know, I'll even say it for my, myself, you know, I, I might think that I know that there's a different or a better way to do things, but someone that's done it for 30 years, like they used to be us thinking there was a, a better way to do things. And then they realize on some of this stuff that maybe, maybe there isn't, maybe this is the stuff we don't waste energy on so that we can do other things that are a better use of, you know, creative thinking or trying different ways of doing things. Um, that's one possibility that's in that mix. Um, sometimes there is experience and wisdom there. Um, some of the ones that are in that camp, the smart ones, they let us wear ourselves out before we come back and we say, you know what, there might have been some truth to what you were saying. Uh, then, you know, then there's the other piece. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking of another person now. Um, and this woman was, was and is, I think, pretty sharp that I'm thinking of, because she was aware and her awareness, because you know, she's on the, the kind of the tail end of her career as well. Um, she's aware that she's not willing to or wanting to try new things because it's just not where she's at in her career. Like she's, it's not that she's coasting, but she's just wanting to finish strong with what she knows. 
And so, you know, when new ideas or different things come to her, you know, her mindset is more like, you can go do that. It's just not for me. And if it's going to directly affect what she's working on, she's probably not going to do it because it's costing her energy that she just doesn't want to exert as well. So it's not a lack of desire. Um, but then I would say there's the other aspect of it, which is, you know, we're more accustomed to things that you know, the average person at the tail end of their career might not be accustomed to. Maybe it's technology. Um, maybe there's certain areas of, of collaboration and different different areas that are that are more common to us that weren't as common for them. Um, and so that's a level of comfort. You know, we might be more comfortable um, in trying new things and spaces with tools or methodologies um, that they're not. And so, yeah, they're they're stuck because they can't see past what they don't know. And then just knowing someone like you uh, might be exactly what they need to help you know, explore a different area, as long as it's your reputation on the line and not theirs. <laughs> I can appreciate well, that bit about not burn, wanting to burn the extra energy to go learn something. Cause I mean, there's a lot of nights and stuff I spend just trying to yeah. figure out the podcasting platform or doing stuff the yeah. hard way to learn things. And like, I'm like, yeah. man, if I just hit the easy yeah. button, I could have had this done a long time ago, but like, I just want to try yeah. to experiment and learn something new. And so it's, it can definitely be a time suck. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I was recently at a university and we had a just a very short, short panel panel type set up there talking with the students. And that's one of the things that we talked about a little bit was, um, you know, because this is for new construction management students. So they were they were, you know, younger individuals coming into the construction industry as professionals. And a lot of times, a lot of conflict that you have as a younger, younger professional is working with the older professionals because, um, you know, just like kind of like you're saying, Eric, they might have a different way of doing things and maybe they are, maybe it is better, but it's, you know, it's, it's hard to say until you really dive into details. And so how do you work with those, with these people? And especially if you know your idea is better, how do you yeah. kind of get that idea yeah. across? And, yeah. you know, sometimes it's even just a sheer, um, sheer thing of, well, here's the idea and you present it in a way that it's almost like it was their idea. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's leadership again, right? Influence and leadership. Right, right. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, I think um, it depends on what's at risk, too. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, you know, being able to try out new ways of thinking or doing things that are low risk is the best way to build momentum or trust. You know, but if you've got an entire project at stake, <laughs> um, you know, probably not the right opportunity to try something new. It's another good point. Absolutely. You got anything out there on your list, Kyle? You want to drill Eric on to get him up to an A plus? I think he's, oh, he's teetering. So you're telling me there's hope. <laughs> he's doing pretty good. No, I we just kind of asked a whole bunch of questions here, man. I feel like I've stolen the show. Nah, this, well, is, this is good stuff. I hope I didn't nerd out too much on all of it. I've been accused of doing so. No, nah, man. I thought it was good. Um, is there anything else to kind of? Uh, to get your bonus points to get you up to the A plus, is there anything else you want to give to like the next generation that you think that on the topic that they'd really need to take take with them? Um, I think that so the interesting thing about team leadership is how much I've learned and so how much we can learn in environments that aren't on the job or professional environments. Um, I've learned, and pe some people are going to hate me for saying this, but I've learned more on academic teams at times about team leadership than I have through professional teams. It's an interesting thing when you have no power and no authority to try to lead a team. And mm -hmm. so you're, you're, you mentioned project engineers with, with their you know, subcontractors, but what about the team that they're part of where they really don't necessarily have that authority? And so how do they lead in that context? And so I think understanding when it comes to um, being an influence and leading on a team how many other environments that we can gain those skills from that are low risk at times too. I mean, I know I'm trying to go for an A plus right now, but at the end of the day, a grade's a grade and I'm going to say D's get degrees. So, <laughs> so academic environments can be low risk, um, nonprofit environments, not that you shouldn't care about the thing that you're supporting, whatever it is, mm -hmm. but at the same time, like there's, there's a different risk tolerance than the fact that, you know, this, this project might, might not be on time on budget if I completely blow it because I try something different from a team leadership standpoint and the whole team blows up because of it. Right. So these other, um, ancillary environments, um, see what I did there. 
Uh, yeah. uh, ancillary environments that are over here. <laughs> There's so much to learn. And so for me, it's a challenge for me as I personally try to stay involved in other environments, not selfishly, just so that I can learn because as much as I'm getting out of them, um, something for myself, I'm also able to contribute something along the way as well. I think it's good because I mean, it's, it's all about getting practice and getting your reps in. So you don't have to yep. do it. You don't have to do yeah. it at your day job. There's a whole bunch of opportunities in the world where you can get same sort of practice. And I mean, I like playing exactly. sports and there's a whole exactly. bunch of opportunity for that in sports. And so exactly. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I think having those things around us, whatever they are, helps us just be more resilient as people anyways. So there's, there's dual benefit there for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just have one last word of wisdom here, just for anybody listening. Um, D's don't take, don't get degrees. Um, <laughs> that part will be edited out later. Um, we'll change it to A's, get degrees. Um, this, this is the CM mentors. Uh, <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to send this somewhere to dub over it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good stuff. I'm so, Eric, good. if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you, man? Yeah, a um, couple ways. Uh, one is, of course, on LinkedIn. You can find me there, Eric Schultz, Journey Alliance. Journey Alliance. That's probably the best way just to kind of check out uh, what I'm about, what Journey is about. Um, and if you go there uh, through LinkedIn, uh, I've got an email address and a phone number right there on the LinkedIn profile as well. Uh, probably the simplest way is that. Otherwise, uh, Eric, E-R-I-C at journey-alliance.com. I was told never to do that with an email or a domain, but I did it. So Eric <laughs> at journey-alliance.com. <laughs> Well, cool, man. I appreciate you joining us. It was a good one. Yeah, thank you, guys. This, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. It was definitely in the top uh, 13 podcasts we've done so far. So. <laughs> See what you did there. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, everybody. Bye.